Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Guitar Talk here with Jimmy Warren. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. We have another great guest for you today. We are moving into the world of contemporary jazz uh, this Wednesday. Uh, now, my guest is Nick Colion. Now, Nick is from Chicago, and at one point in time, he had an album where every song went to number one. Yeah. I mean, how often does that happen? I mean, how often does it happen that a guy gets a number one song, let alone have every song on an album? go to number one he's a great player been around a long time he's a chicago cat so you know it's right here in my backyard so this is going to be really good so normally i tell you you know to strap yourself in and get your you know self a beverage and uh you know lock and load but not today no 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 not today i'm gonna tell you just to put on them sunglasses maybe grab a cigar get a stogie and a glass of wine you know, and uh, and kick back. I think that's the best way to go about this one, is with a stogie and a glass of wine. Yeah, that'll work. So you're going to enjoy this. This is Nick Colione, jazz guitarist from Chicago, Illinois. So uh, we'll just start off here. Uh, you know, er- everybody has a-, a story, Nick, of how they got, you know, started in playing, how they first picked up the instrument and that, you know. What's, what's your story? Well, I picked up the guitar because my stepfather used to play guitar. And um, when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, and he had a band and they used to practice at my house. They never played professional. They only played at my house. <laughs> so, and uh, one day I just told him that I thought that I would, you know, want to play guitar. And he asked me, was I uh, serious? And, you know, and I was as serious as a 90-year-old kid could be. And, uh, <laughs> You know, so um, he started teaching me, and uh, and I just fell in love with then. You know, he and my mom were really, really big West Montgomery fans, and uh, so he started uh, having me listen to West Montgomery and Kenny Burrell mostly, and uh, I fell in love with you know the West Montgomery sound. So yeah, this is what I want to play like, and. And they got me a little, I asked for electric guitar for Christmas, but they bought me some kind of little cheap acoustic guitar, you know. So right. I worked on that, and for about a year and a half, parents told me if I learned how to play bumping on Sunset, they would buy me an electric guitar. So I learned that, and I sat there every day and picked it out. But in the beginning, I didn't really know how to play octaves like Wes. You know, I didn't know how to, uh, how he fingered it. So I came up with my own thing, finger, you know, with two fingers and, you know, the pick. And, you know, I finally learned how to do it. And as they say, the rest was history. I fell in love with playing guitar. My brother played drums and. You know, we couldn't put nothing on. He couldn't get anything hung on the wall in our bedroom because I had pictures of guitars everywhere. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, I had, everywhere you looked at, you know, I had a magazine or something or go to you know, music stores and they had the pamphlets and I'd cut out the pictures and put them on the wall, <laughs> carry guitar pictures in my pocket, <laughs> you know, so 
Wow. And then just kept going. In. So were you, uh, did, did you take lessons? Did you get formally trained as, as a young man, or, or were you self-taught? Or? More self-taught. My parents, you know, we didn't have any money, so I took about maybe three or four formal lessons at a music school, but at $12 a lesson, they weren't sending me down there. $12 <laughs> a lesson and bus fare, you know, so. Right. But, but there were a lot of guys in my neighborhood who played guitar and, uh, you know, older guys and I would go over and haunt them, you know. Yeah. Ask a thousand questions and they would look at me like I was crazy, you know, so. Yeah. But, um, that's, I learned from them and learned from watching, you know. Yeah, that's one of the best ways, in my opinion, to get good. You know, a lot of people say you got to surround yourself with better players. Right. You yeah. know, even, you know, as as you really get into it, you know, you always want to play with guys that's at least as good as you, as you but preferably better so that you can learn from them. Right. Know? Not only that, but they help they help you stay motivated. You know, so many guys get mm-hmm. frustrated, you know, and and stop. Yeah, because they don't seem like they're progressing. Because you know, a lot of times you don't really know what to practice. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, uh, you know, and uh, but the the one really good thing that happened for me was that. Even as a young kid, once my stepfather started teaching me to play guitar, the first thing he started, one of the first things he started doing was making me, he taught me to read music, you know. And uh, So by the time, you know, I got to high school, I could read music fluently, you know. So you yeah. know, I took music in high school, you know. Almost failed music a couple of times because, you know, they were at the basic beginnings of learning how to read and everything. The teacher was just already knew, <laughs> you know, so. Right. You could have taught the class. Right. So, you know, a lot of times I would just come for the test on the test day. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. So, it, it, when you were a young guy, in that, did you uh, did you play in any bands? You know, around the city or mm-hmm. yeah. Who who were who were was there anybody? You know that we might know that. that nah, you were... from where I was from, nobody was from there but me. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, uh, you know, my first band was me and my brother and a guy that lived a couple of doors from us, which was you know a really funny story. One you know. I was like 10, you know, going on 11. And we started a band and we, me and this other guy, he was like three years old, three or four years older than me. And uh, we both played guitar. And so what we did was he played guitar on some songs and I played guitar on some songs. So we didn't have a bass. So what we would do, whoever was playing bass, would just turn the treble knobs all the way down on their guitar. (laughs) 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 And so uh, my biological dad became our manager. 
and uh, he named us the Astros, which was not really a good thing on the west side of Chicago because the kids around the house never called us the Astros. You can imagine what they turned it into. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> and uh, we were getting a lot of trouble, me and my brother, because we were rehearsing our house. We lived in an apartment, and we used to take all in a small apartment. And we used to pull all the furniture into the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> My mother would get home from work early sometime, man, and there's the couch and everything else in the kitchen. You, know? <laughs> you had to have room for the band. Yeah, we know we had to set up, you know, and then for all the other kids who wanted to come up <laughs> to watch. <you> know? <laughs> But uh, once I got to high school, I started, you know, because we were playing basically, you know, we're attempting to play jazz and, and to uh, write our own songs and we make up our own songs. And my dad would give them names that we was like, oh, man, why well, we got to call the song that, you know, song called The Nicky Solo. <laughs> we can come up with another better name than that. <laughs> you know, the song. Uh, that's, yeah. that's so good. it was fun. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I played I played drums, you know. My dad insisted that me and my brother could both knew. My brother had to learn how to play guitar and I had to teach him and he had to teach me how to play drums, so Yeah. We would we would do talent shows and stuff, so me and him would switch up, you know. Yeah. When I got to high school I started playing R and B, you know. But that's what, you know, kids were, you know, in my age, right? that's what we listened to was R&B. So I started playing, I got my band and we started backing up a lot of the singing groups who were trying to be the Temptations and everybody in high school, you know. Yeah. So did a lot of that. And so were you, uh, did you have it in your mind when, when you were young like that, that, um, you know, your your aspirations were to use the guitar to make a living at some point? My aspiration was, you know, my real dream was it didn't happen. I thought I was going to be the Michael Jackson of guitar. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I told my mother I was going to buy this big matching and all this stuff, you know. So, but uh, nah, once, I, once I started playing, I didn't want to do anything else, yeah. you know. And uh, my mom, you know, they were, you know, they were kind of behind me. They were like, you got to go to school and I do something else, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do nothing else. <laughs> you know, and uh, grades would drop every one now and then. And they take the guitar and lock it in their room closet, you know, their room closet in their room, which, you know, didn't really bother me that much because I just went around to a couple blocks away and borrowed one of my friends' guitar and still made every rehearsal, <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> But you went on to to be a uh, music teacher, correct? At Elgin, yeah. in Elgin. Yeah, you know, I teach I'm, I teach music. That school is going to close this year, but uh, you know, I'm not a paid music teacher. I'm, you know, that's a volunteer thing. Uh, I mentor at the school, you know, so started doing that uh, like twenty or twenty five years ago. It got better as time goes on, because in the beginning, I. Uh, I was hauling so much stuff up there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> computers and all kinds of stuff. Because, you know, I was not only teaching, you know, kids who want to play guitar, but I was, you know, teaching them how to use the computers to 
you know, compose music and, you know, show them how the whole, the whole thing works, you know. And I would, you know, go on field trips with the kids and all that stuff. And my old road manager, he's, uh, he quit on me about maybe, yeah, two years ago because his kids too. Um, he was one of my, he was my very first kid to start up, um, at the school taking guitar lessons from me when he was eight. And, uh, he would always tell me when I come to school, you know, I want to grow up and go on the road with you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, and all of the kids at the school would come up to me and it was like, is Chris your son? God, okay, kids, you got eyes. This boy has blonde as I don't know what and with blue eyes. Yeah, he my son. <laughs> so, but he grew up and um, when he got to college, he went to college on a guitar scholarship. And, and uh, I took him to uh, elementary school and high school. And he got to college and, you know, still talked all the time and you know he had some kind of test at school and he called me up he's like I don't think I made it I don't think I did it I'm coming home this weekend I need to come over he's like yeah and I said he come over and I was like so what did you play you play that I was like yeah no wonder you like upset <laughs> just like you gotta do something better than that <laughs> you know <laughs> and then he would work with me you know regionally you know local and regional during the summer while he was in college. And when he graduated, he was like, he called me up the week he was graduating. At this time, I'm mentoring his, his, I was mentoring his younger brother. I already went to his middle brother who was a drummer. And, uh, calls me up that last week of school and says, uh, okay, you know, I'm graduating this week. I said, yeah, I know I got the invitation to your graduation party. He's like, uh, so now I'm going to work for you full time. I'm not hiring. I can't even afford nobody else. <laughs> and he started sounding all sad and everything. I understand. A half an hour later, I got a call from my manager. Yeah, I just hired you, Chris. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, my, uh, she had a bad hip. And she was like, my hip is bothering me too bad. Take him on the road, <laughs> you know, and that was a really good thing because he knew exactly how my guitar was supposed to sound because I had been teaching him forever, you know, and yeah. uh, he played like me. And uh, even as a road manager, I started making him a part of the show when I would put, put the guitar down and just run around the stage that crazy. He would come from behind the board to run up on the stage. <laughs> That's good he stuff. Was good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. You know, I think I, I think that um I think the time that, that people dedicate to investing in other people, especially young people that want to play, you know, or uh, you know, have the desire to play and just don't know how to 
get from point A to point B. I think it's a really special thing, you know, so hats off to you for all the years that you've, uh, you know, uh, you know, helped other people because that's a, that's a huge thing. You know, it, that, that's, I think that brings, that's got to bring you more joy than any success you've ever had playing. I would think, I don't know, but, uh, you know, it's that's the most rewarding thing, Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's been some trials and tribulations with some of the kids who want to play the time. I had one kid. He just got a guitar for Christmas one year. And so when I came in, he's like, I want to get into guitar classes. Like, comes to school with a guitar and in a, in a distortion pedal. He just started playing. I was like, what's the distortion pedal? You need to learn how to play the guitar before you learn how to play the distortion pedal. That didn't bother me as much. He didn't ever want to tune up. <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, hey, Robert, you got to tune the guitar. He's like, I like the way it sounds like this. I said, yeah, but don't nobody else like the way it sounds like that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, you tune for a reason, yeah. I was like, how you gonna play with everybody else? You out there tuning in, tuning. <laughs> you know? It's gonna stand out. <laughs> yeah. You're going to really be a soloist. <laughs> you know, we're going to turn you down so you can be so low nobody won't hear you. you know? So so even right now, you know, do you do you give private lessons to to people that, you know, are wanting to learn? Or are you, are you just really wrapped up in your own, you know, solo career? Well, you know, I got too busy. And really, I don't consider myself a really good teacher on private lessons because... I'm not, I'm not a patient old person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, you know, I used to get on the kids with that, you know, when I would do one-on-one stuff with them, you know, and we come back the next week, I'm like, okay, now I gotta go back. Oh, the stuff I just showed you and, you know, start again because you don't practice, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, uh, kid, Chris, I was telling you about, he's a, he's a teacher, he's a teacher now in high school. Everybody kind of comes to me for private lessons. I send him in because he's a really good teacher. You know, teaches really well. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do, you know, I really don't have the time to most of the time, but I did a couple of people, you know, and then there's a couple of kids on my block now that <laughs> I had a kid next door to me. He's 11 now. And, uh, I first moved in over here after about two years, could have been here yeah. He decided he was going, first he was going to learn how to play saxophone. I didn't know it. I came home off the road. The kid was sitting in front of my house playing the saxophone, making noise on the saxophone, waiting for me to come up. <laughs> I was like, okay, now he's going to play guitar. I didn't have to change the strings on the thing, you know, from him breaking strings three times already. <laughs> but I get a kick out of him, you know, and, um, I mean, and, uh, thing is with me, man, you know, I just, I'm a person, I just, I just feel about kids, you know, the kids, you know, I come to school and the kids will thank me for being in school. Like, don't thank me, you know. I'm here to steal your youth away from you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You go to the school and I'm, you know, go up the stairs. 
and I watch you kids running past me, running up the stairs. I'm like, man, was I ever, was I ever able to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother, 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 brother. (laughs) Now it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing carving out a career for yourself as a guitarist. And, oh, yeah. And I know that the business aspect is extremely brutal. A lot of people don't, you know, some people know this, but, you know, there's a lot more people that don't know this about me. But I've actually been on a few labels and I've released, mm-hmm. uh, you know, several albums and stuff like that. And, uh, you know... I I under I have such huge respect for people that do it, especially people that you know have spent an entire lifetime devoted to it, and that and uh, you know it just seems like you've just been carving away for for a lifetime, you know. Yeah. But you've really had some great achievements. Yeah, you know, and uh, and you know, I tell young guys now, it's like you know, it's not easy, you know. Mm-hmm. I tell them, I tell them, I say, you know. Get ready for, you know, to make a lot of phone calls and nobody call you back. <laughs> you yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really send your stuff to a lot of people to have them say, and I wouldn't be interested in this at that start. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. like, but don't let the, you know, that deter you from, you know, your mission. You know, you have to, you got to want it bad enough, you know, and and know that this is what you want, you know. So you, the next time you don't knock on your door, you kick the door. <laughs> you know, it's like you know rejection, rejection. You know, you can't let rejection uh, deter you from what you're doing. And um, so, I, you know, I told you know when I'm talking to the younger guys on the set, you know, it's like, well, man, you know, what did you do? I was like, you know what, I came up with a model. And I still live by today. The they can slow me down, but they can't stop me. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. You can slow me down. I'm going to keep pushing, you know? I remember a uh, radio station here when they uh, they were on my first record. Like, I don't know what. Second record came out. They had a new music director. You know, and I used to go down there all the time. You know, when I was downtown, I'd walk, walk in. I knew everybody at the radio station program directors and stuff and operation managers. So I said, oh, I should go down here and meet the new guy. I went down there. I talked to that guy five minutes. I was like, this dude is not going to play my new record. I just felt it from mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, when he didn't, he never added it. So one day I called him and he says to me, well, Nick, you know, we can only add great songs. Now, that's a total incel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I told him, I was like, well, where they at? I'm not hearing them. <laughs> 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 you know? <laughs> so, and he's like, you know, you should be quiet now and, let, and uh, let your radio promoter talk. I was like, you know what, man? Now I can talk for myself. I said, you know? I tell you this, you don't have to play my record, but Nicole Leon will be playing the guitar long after they get rid of you down there. And they got rid of him about a year and a half later. He was selling cars, and I made it a point to go past that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm still playing. 
you selling cars, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's a it's a doggy dog business, and and now it seems like it's uh, you know it's it's harder now than it was back in you know back in the you know eighties, seventies, and eighties even. You yeah. Know, and uh, you know now you know if you're if you're an artist and that, if you're not well established with a great following and already making good money and stuff like that, it's hard to get labels and good managers and good, you know, people to pay attention to you. Right. Well, the one thing is no major labels really doing this kind of music anymore. Yeah. It's indies, you know, and, uh, a lot of these guys on the radio, you know, like younger things, they're having to pay to make their own records, you know? Yeah. They, they get those kind of deals. And like I tell them, you know, this ain't the old days, the 60s and 70s. I mean, this is before I was getting anything, doing anything other right. They're not discovering people like they used to, you know? They, you know, they used to discover new artists. Right. <laughs> now you, now you gotta discover them and convince them that you know, you're good enough to be on their independent label that might sell 5,000 records, you know, so. Right. Not only did they discover, but they, they would develop an artist. Right, you know, and give them tour support and all yeah. that kind of money for tours. And nine, you know, record budgets that went down so low, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's cool in this day and age that, you know, not that, you know, even though, you know, I was talking to Norman Brown one day. Me and Norman was talking a couple of days ago. I was like, man, whatever happened today, you just used to get your band, go into the studio, do 600 takes on a record. I was like, now you got to be a computer wizard, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You learn all the software. And I got a bad habit of buying some new software, some new outboard equipment while I'm recording the records so I can put myself at a learning curve at the same time. So do you do you have your own studio or do you have, you know, some sort of studio so that you can, you know, record, you know, oh, ideas yeah, I, and stuff? I, yeah, I, I, I usually record everything here. Yeah. Except drums. I got a couple of cats who have drum studios in their, in their place and on the tracks, you know, I'll do uh, uh, like, you know, electronic drums and stuff. Like, this is what I'm looking for, variation of this. Because you know, I'm not really set up to record drums. I probably could, you know, but right. I don't want your neighbors to throw me out either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, yeah. You know. Yeah, it seems to, be, seems to be a normal thing, you know, now, you know, everybody's yeah. got their own studios and pretty much doing anything themselves and if they you know everybody has a lot a laptop calling themselves a studio <laughs> at this point, you know. Yeah, you got a point there. Yeah. You, know, you got a point there. I know it's uh it's amazing you can go on uh, you know, YouTube nowadays and you know, there's fifty million people out there that, you know, are under the mm-hmm. age of twelve that, you know, play so amazingly. You know, Man, it's like, ridiculous. yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But you know what? One of the things, you know, that I've noticed about some of that is that, you know what? They learn, you know, specific songs or specific solos from songs or, 
or whatever right. it is, but you put them in a real situation where they got to interact with a band or, you know, play and something. Improvise. You improvise, you right? You know, they're at a complete loss. You know, they have no right, idea. You know. Yeah. They're, they're, they're programmed, you know, they're, they're playing a solo note for note, you know. Yeah. And I, like I tell these younger guys, and I was like, you know, y'all got advantages that we didn't have, you know. We didn't have YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. we didn't have we didn't have software that will slow stuff down so that we can learn it. You know, we had record players and we had to take the needle and keep going back, <laughs> right. keep going back. You know, if, if it was on the forty five, you turn it to thirty three, and then now it's in another key. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah, and, uh, most records were like two minutes and thirty seconds long, so you yeah. had as much time to get on it. You know. <laughs> But, you know, they have the advantages, you know. But like you say, there's no heart. It's all, it, it's almost like reading, you know. Mm. Very structured, you know. It's like, dun, 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 dun. I know this whole solo. But they are amazing. I'm like, looking at this little 10 years and 11 years, and I'm like, yeah. how the hell do you know all that? <laughs> you yeah. know? Blows me away. You know what? I, my son's an example of that. Yeah, he's 26 now, but when he was young, you know, in his. In his teens, early mid teens, and that he started playing guitar, and I don't know what it was, but uh, he he's got an ear that's amazing, and he can hear something and he can just play it, and uh, yeah. yeah, and he was really skilled. But he was one of those one of those kids that you know he would listen to a song and he could play it you know verbatim just the way that it was, and it was an it was amazing. But I would say, okay, you know. Uh, you know, my band's playing, why don't you come sit in with us, you know, for, you know, a couple of songs and, you know, he, he couldn't, he couldn't play with a band, you know, or we were in the studio. It's like, we're going to record, you know, why don't you come record something with me? And it's like, he couldn't record because he just didn't have, you know, he just didn't have that, that ability because he was so. Yeah, I mean, his vocabulary, if you didn't put it, if it wasn't already there. Right. And if you're going to be a musician, you know, if you're going to be like you are, for instance, in that you have to be, you have to be diverse and well-rounded. You have to be able to, you know, interact with an audience. You have to be able to, you know, play a variety of structures. You got to be able to play a whole song and not just, Uh you know, a piece of a song. You know, you have to be able to entertain. I mean, there's so many facets that go along with it that, you know, are missed by, you know, people that play. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, you know, I knew some guys, you know, that were from Chicago and, you know, uh, that played with Michael Jackson. And uh, when he did the tour for, you know, when he did, he did that tour. That's when uh, the Thriller album was out. Right. And, you know, that solo that Van Halen took, on a so beat it or thriller beat it beat on the it. Yeah. beat it that you know they had a guitar player the only thing he could play was that solo note for note sound everything yeah and they did a show and my boy was doing they did a show and he did this so and people were screaming for more for it well play the same solo again <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> he was just on the stage for that one thing, you know. Right. Couldn't even play it backwards. Had to play it the same way again. Right. right. 
man was making fourteen grand a week. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And you you know that that solo had to be redone, right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Quincy Jones called in Steve Lukather, I think it was, to redo that. You know, the great thing about this solo, it was short and right to the point. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, I'm going to build up to this big climax. It started at the climax and then I don't know where it went, (laughs) you know, but it was short and to the point, you know. Right. Like, like, wow, did I miss something? (laughs) You know. Right. Now, have have you always have you always stayed in the you know jazz contemporary jazz genre of music? I mean, has that always been your thing, or you know, I know Chicago's you know huge for you know other music, you know blues and and so forth. And that have you ever you know ventured out into those areas, or have you pretty much stayed true when to I, who you are? When I started playing. When I first started playing, the first only thing I know how to play was stuff me and my brother and this other guy Al came up with. Other than that, the only thing I know how to play was some West Montgomery and King Burrell tunes. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing mostly, you know, like straight ahead stuff. You know, when I got to high school, I started playing, you know, before I started you know, going to high school, I started learning how to play a lot of R&B tunes. So, you know, when I was 15... I got a job with Staple Singer, so I was playing R&B, you know. Right. So I played with them through the summers and on some weekends for a couple of years. Five to be exact. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Then, uh, then I joined a heavy metal band. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. I'll be done. So I, I, uh, while I was playing with the Staple Singers, I was also playing uh, gigs with the... Uh, the new impressions after Curtis Mayfield and stuff, and they were there. Yeah, so I was playing with them and Staples. And then, like I said, I was a, I was a really big Hendrix tonight, you know. I remember the day I walked in the house with my first, I heard a Jimi Hendrix and somebody let me hear something, and I was like, I bought the record, I came home, and I told my mother, I put it on, I was like, this dude is really good, listen to this. My mother was was my mother's jazz church. She's like, boy, don't nobody want to hear that. <laughs> 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 there ain't nothing but some noise. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> your, your mom was a purist. <laughs> yeah. And, and strangely enough, though, uh, my aunt, her husband, my uncle, who passed away last June, and Jimmy Hendrix were in the army together. You know? Oh, yeah. they, were the same, they were in the same, uh, platoon or whatever. You know, they were both airborne, so yeah. he used to tell me, he's like, yeah, Jimmy used to pull up, man, and we'd be trying to sleep, and he was like, hey, man, he cut out all that noise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so then, you know, I started like all this rock stuff, uh, Jimmy and Deep Purple and all those groups, and, you know, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, <laughs> you know, yeah. all this stuff. Mark Farner was my cat, you know. <laughs> so I um so I played that played on heavy you know, you know, I went to playing heavy metal, I started playing that real head banging music, you know. And with this band, uh, their guitar player was quitting and they hired me and they played in every little town in the United States that I was the only black person there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so and, uh, but it was such 
them a couple years and they fired me because I started recording my own stuff, you know. And they were like, you got a conflict of interest. But I didn't know what I was going to do with it, you know. I had never, I had recorded, we had never recorded with a lot of people, especially R&B, you know. You know, and uh, I had wrote some songs in them. I decided to record them. The bass player had a, had a little studio, and I was like, man, you should record some of this stuff. I was just recording on that little four track. And uh, like I said, I had no idea what was going to happen with the stuff. And uh, at that time, I met my manager. She used to come on the show. And she used to always say, you should go out on your own. You know, don't let the girl sing or beat up. You know, the star, you should go on your own. I was like, I don't know nothing about being on my own. I'm not being in a group for the person, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so she kept encouraging me, you know, I recorded like a four, tr- four song demo. And so happened, uh, a guy came in the studio, another musician, and he was like, you know, I should let his mother hear this. And, uh, I gave him a tape, <laughs> you know, cassette. And his mother used to work at the radio station and she sent it down there. And they called me and they're like, when will the CD be ready? And I was like, you know, I'm working, I'm finishing it up. And, uh, I, you know, I called the music director when it was finished and he was out of town that weekend. And he called me back. He was out of town that weekend. He called me back that Friday. Man, I had to move so bad. He's like, bring the CD, bring the CD. I got up on my deathbed and went down there. And this is just how things work, you know. I believe in, you know, I believe in God and I believe he just, you know, God said it's your turn, you know. And that was the name of my first record. It's my turn. Yeah. Got tired of looking at people's back, <laughs> you know, being behind. So I went down there that Friday. I woke up Monday morning listening to my song on the radio. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm on the radio. And the record did well. Then I thought, okay, I'm on my way. Put out my second record. Then Holly get no airplay. Third record, Holly, no airplay. So, yeah, I'm on my way. My way down. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> and this guy who was starting a new record company here in Chicago. And he was really into me, and he was really into me. You know, going to do this for you, and going to do that for you. They had all the money and everything. Can't wait till you finish this record, blah, blah, blah. Can't see you a couple of times. When I finished the record, I went down to the office, me and my manager, and we went down there, you know, thinking, we got this record deal. You know, he already said, me and Brownberg was going to be his main two artists. I go down there, and he plays the whole record, he said. I don't hear any hits on this. Ouch. My heart was broken, man. Yeah. And, uh, I left there. You know, the guy, he, the, he, uh, if I stayed there five more minutes, he was seeing me crying, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, so, I sent her, you know, I sent the record out to about maybe five, six labels. And, you know, about three days later, I get a call from this guy up in the D.C. area, Marcus Johnson. And uh, 
kids only, you know, young guy. And he was being backed by a guy named Bob, Bob Johnson. They were no, not related. But Bob Johnson's a guy, he owned BET and everything, you know. Mm. So he's like, man, I love this record, you know. I think you need one more song. You should come up here to our studio and record another song. I was like, cool. I came up there. And uh, he put that record out. And I got my first number one song with uh, Half Lion. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Uh, another guitar player from here, Jerry, he got a job. He worked at, at that label, you know, when they started. They hired Jerry. And Jerry told me, he was like, so every time, every time your song comes on the radio, I look at him and say, so you didn't hear no hit song. <laughs> <You know? laughs> then they released the second single and it was just number one. Man, did he look crazy. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Now, is that the, is that the release that you had? I think you, didn't you have five number one hits on one release? Oh, that was recently. Yeah, this was back. This was like oh, that okay. was my fourth. That was my fourth CD. Yeah, I, I, um, just come on in was the name of it. Um, my CD, uh, the Journey, which was released. Let's see, my new CD, Thing of Pain. This one was the last people that have just seen me. So it's my third CD back, which was about four, four, five years. Four, about no, it ain't been that about three years. Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah. The journey. It, it, it made the history book for contemporary cause five, five number one singles from one CD, you yeah. know. That had to I make you like, feel good though after, you know. I mean, it just made me feel like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, so usually record companies only go maybe two record songs into a record, then they, you know, ready for you to another one. Yeah. So like, we're going with a third single. I was like, okay. So my thoughts is, they'll go with third single. Third singles don't usually do that much. That don't, you know, that's just fine time for me to start on the new record, you know. Yeah. It went to number one. Then they're like, okay, we're going to another song. I was like, okay, y'all pushing it, <laughs> you know. That went to number one. And then I got a call. One day from uh, the owner of the record company, who's in the UK, like, he missed the number one. I said, what's up? He's like, your fifth single just made history. Wow. <laughs> he's like, actually, he's like, actually, the fourth one did because nobody said four number ones. He's like, and it's going to be five. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, he's looking at the um, thing for Billboard because they get it before the actual chart comes up like gonna be number one with this single I said like, okay now nobody's gonna speak to me anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have no friends now <laughs> I was like all my friends are gonna gonna turn it back on me and see right. what you're doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so have uh, have you always uh, played the same style of guitar I know right now you know uh uh, I've noticed that, you know, most of the time that I've seen you, you've either had, it looks like the Epiphone ES-175. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Is that right? Yes, it is. That yeah. seems to be uh, your go-to thing. Is, is that something that you've always, is that, you know, been the style of guitar, you know, the the big hollow body 
George Benson type things, or you know, or or do you have a variety that you play, or is that basically? Well, I have a variety, but I just don't like carrying a bunch of crap around with me. But right. <laughs> you know, in my early years, I didn't have you know really expensive guitars. But when I first got uh, my first expensive guitar when I was in my teens. At that, at that time, I considered he might as well have cost a million dollars and seven hundred and fifty bucks, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I was in love with the Gibson ES three forty five stereo. I played that for a long time, and uh, then I, you know, I started playing some Strats, you know. Like I said, you know, I started playing rock, you know. Yeah. And then, and then I got me a three thirty five, and. Very stupidly, I traded a 345 stereo Gibson for a Stratocaster. <laughs> what? You know, and I went back to the music store to try the bag back and I couldn't afford it. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and, uh, Strat wasn't worth it, huh? Yeah, so. Then, uh, I started, you know, like I started playing the Strats and then I got the 335. And then right at the 335, I traded that. No, actually, I didn't trade that. That was when I lived in South Side of Chicago. I got burglar. My house got burglarized. It got stolen. Mm. And so then my next guitar was the Les Paul Custom. And that thing was so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and when I got with this group in Chicago, I started using the... Uh, I bought a, a Gibson L, L4. I just lucked up on that one because somebody had ordered it and then, cause that time they didn't sell them in the stores back in the 90s. They didn't sell them in the store. They just started since Gibson has been sold to new owners. They're starting to sell some in the store because they used to have to come straight out of the custom shop, you know, mm-hmm. but somebody had ordered one and I was in Guitar Center and they had and I started playing it and I was like man this is cool and I bought it and I took it to a gig that night and there was something wrong with the brace and so I went back to guitar sitting the next morning on a Sunday and I'm going off on the cast and manager because me and him was really tight and I'm like Joe man he said, he's like Nick calm down I'll take care of it yeah. he started calling he started calling Gibson people this is all of a sudden he started calling them at their house, you know. And he was telling them, he's like, you know, this is the guy that you guys should really be thinking about getting with you. And uh, I sent them my stuff and they signed me up as a, you know, an endorser. And then they wanted me to uh, get in this program when I first started. They were doing a big promotion with... Uh, John Lee Hooker, Matthew Sweet, and somebody else in me for the Epiphone line of guitars. So I was doing the uh, Epiphone Joe Pass mm-hmm. for them to promote that. And then I uh, started doing the Broadway, you know, and they would get mad whenever they'd see me on a picture or something playing my L4 right on stage go. I wasn't playing those guitars out there much. I was playing my L4 already. And, uh, 
then when I started playing the Broadway, the Broadway had such a big sound to it, you know. Yeah. Cause it's built up more on the style of the L5. And then, uh, when they came, came back with the, cause they only started making this ES-175 for the last few years, you know, the, the new one, the, uh, the one like I play. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the premium. Premium, yeah. And, uh, they said, you know, the guy who was the president of Everphone at the time, Jim Rosenberg, he sent me one and told me to check it out. And, uh, I checked it out. He said, would you do a video for it? And I did a video for the guitar. And, uh, I just really started digging it. So then, you know, I had some, you know, tweaks that I would like on my own you know, for mine, and they did those. And then this year, they were supposed to release the Nick Holyown model. So I'm trying to figure out what's happening with that since Gibson has been sold, right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, then uh, the girl who I worked with, ever since I've been there, you know, the rep, you know, she called me one day and I was like, you know, and I was like, so what's happening with my guitar, you know, because they were supposed to have Polka Dot at January NAM show. She's like, these new owners and stuff, you know, she's like, everything's in the uproar. She called me back a couple of days, she's like, they let everybody go, including her, after 30 years of working there, you know. Wow. So I'm like, okay, that might be down the tubes. I was like, maybe I might have to talk to the other guy who's been after me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so, 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 you know, Chuck Lowe played his guitar, Sadowski, Roger Sadowski. Yeah. And he's been after me, you know, all the time, you know, so. I've heard those are really nice. Yeah, but he's not making big hollow bodies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he'd probably make one, you know. Right. But because the strange thing is, you know, sometimes I'll, t- I'll take a strand out on the road with me just so I can go do some other style. And one day I was doing a gig <laughs> and I changed over to a strat. And when I swung down to hit the guitar <laughs> with my pinky and I totally missed it. Because <laughs> 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 the guitar was against my body and my arm just automatically went out like three or four inches. <laughs> 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 I went to play it like, Whoa, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you know what that that Epiphone I've I've played one before. I don't own one. The ES one seventy five is is a really nice guitar. It is. It really it's is. Really nice. Yeah, and you know what? You hear something crazy. I I own some you know some Gibson and Epiphone products myself, and uh, I have a vintage uh, three thirty five from uh, mm. the early seventies. And I also have the Epiphone Sheridan 2, right? right, which is Epiphone's version. And I got to tell you, the Epiphone to me plays and sounds better than the original 335 does. And it looks like the Epiphone pickups have a lot more output than the Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. a lot more output. Yeah, I just I just put 57 Epiphone humbuckers in a, in a Strat. Oh. I had a uh, custom Strat made in Georgia. And mm-hmm. at the neck in the bridge position, and I put 57 Epiphone humbuckers in it, and it sounds great. It's a great pickup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
So yeah. my on my one seventy five I got uh fifty seven classic humbuckers in there, you know. Yeah. The Gibson's um, you know, first patented ones. <laughs> right? Those, yeah. Those they have a little less output and uh gives me more of that you know, rich tone that I like more that West Montgomery sound, you know. Right. Well, for the, the, the style of music that, you know, you're known for, I mean, that tone, you know, that sound is, you know, is kind of required. You know, you really yeah. got to, you really got to have it. And, and you know what? You're extremely good at, at that style of music. And, uh, you know, when I listen to you do the octaves, you and Norman are, you know, in my opinion, you know, two of the, the best players when it comes to, you know, working them octaves the way that you guys do. I mean, it's amazing to me, you know, because um, it, it takes a lot of skill. I mean, that's that's not a simple thing, you know what I mean? It's It takes a lot of work to be able to have it as polished as you do. You know, yeah, that's, you know and keeping it clean, you know. Yeah. And uh, because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times, especially if I'm playing like or something. When I go to octaves, I just kind of like hold a pick inside my palm and I, you know, go to the thumb, you know. You know, I want it to bite, I go back to the pick, you know, and slide it back up. But, you know, I see guys, some of these guys come out who play octaves and I'm like, okay, you need to work on that octave thing, you know, because to me, to me, I put better octaves than I'll do single notes, you know. <laughs> I guess because it's the first thing I learned, you know. Right. And, and as much as I love, you know, like Norman, he sounds so much like Benson, you know. Yeah. And I tell him, I say, you know, man, I spent my whole career trying not to start sound like George Benson. And people always say, I can hear that Benson. I was like, yeah, well, I've learned a lot of George Benson stuff, you know, growing up and stuff. But I wanted my own sound, you know. <laughs> and Norman always says, he's like, you got your own sound, man. He's like, probably them, it's like, probably them big old strings you be playing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they normally use 11s and 12s, and I use 14s. Oh, my know? Lord. Are you using yeah. flat-wound strings, or? Yeah. I yeah. use the, um, I use the, um, George Benson, uh, made by, um, Tomaster Gainfield. Wow. And them and, um, GHS, the GHS Pat Martino's, only only ones who make four teams. And uh, Pat Martino used fifteen yeah. string. You know, <laughs> funny man. I remember the first time Norman had to use one of my guitars. He had to use my guitar. We were on a festival together, and when he went on stage, something was happening with his guitar. Oh, the uh, little snake is. He had took the little wire thing that holds the uh, saddles in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he took it off for something. He was cleaning the guitar and did something. And he didn't, and it bent, so he didn't put it back on. He gets to the gig, the saddle falls off to get the out. <laughs> so <laughs> he has to use my guitar. <laughs> so he goes off the stage like, and it was like playing a boy now with those strings so dog on me. What side of string is Like, that these string is a 14. It's like, man, I could not point the thing out. Like, separation man from the boys, Norman. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
You know, you one, say, nah, no, that sounds so big. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's a huge sound. It, not only that, but you know what? If if you go, I went to a size. I went to a twelve once, right? Because I normally play tens, so I feel like a real wimp compared to you. But uh, I went up to a twelve because I thought, well, you know, I want to build up my my uh, my dexterity on my hands. And when I went back down to a ten. It, it felt like, because I, I was at a 12 for a long time, I felt like I really had great control over yeah. over the neck. You know what I mean? So you're, you probably, your hands probably got to be strong as an ox. I mean, you can, you probably got really great control over what you're doing. It's, uh, you know, like I got 10s on my stretch down here. But, you know, I don't know. I picked up one guy's guitar. He was using nines and tens, you know, on his strat. And I went to bend the string. And now, now I was just using my regular pressure that I use on my guitar. But very hard to bend, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, I was on his B string and I thought I was hitting it lightly, you know, to bend. <laughs> my thing was all the way at the other side of his neck. I had pushed it off. <laughs> <laughs> guitar was off. String was off. We were on the other side of the neck. I was like, Ooh. I was like, man, I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! Oh my god! So, so what kind of what kind of amp do you use? I use the uh, when I'm on stage. I use uh, two twins, oh, okay. sixty-five. 265 uh, reissued blackface. Right. You know, and it's got too many knobs for me. <laughs> right. and, and so I guess, you know, from from your from your sound, you're probably, you're not using any effects or very, very few, oh. you know, maybe a chorus or something. I don't know. I would think you're just going straight in. You, man, if you heard, if you were on a festival backstage, I get so much flack from all the guitar players. Norman, Peter White, all of them. You know, they like, Randy, even Randy, it's like, hey. and they look at me and they say, Nick, you came in here with one guitar, a wireless unit. That's all you carry. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, for me, it don't take all that to play the guitar, you know? It's like, I'm like, I want to hear the guitar. I don't want to hear no effects. <laughs> you know? yeah, and I'm, I turn the reverb up depending on the twin, you know, because when they bring back like because the twins are strange, yeah. Right. So one of them you get, you can turn the reverb to one, and it's just right. Some of them you get, you got to turn it up to about five before you even <laughs> hit the reverb. Then you get one, you turn it to, to, to up to one, and you're in the canyon, <laughs> you yeah. know. So, so but true. recently I bought one of them little mini many reverb uh, pedals just because just to have the same reverb all the time, you know. Right. Because a lot of times I don't have time to go up there and be trying to, oh, where's the reverb at? Okay. I got it on three. It's still not. Turn to five. <laughs> I need to get it one time. <laughs> the knob just kept turning. You just stand there and hit it and it just stops spinning around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I invested in one of them little micro, one of them little micro reverse. I told him, I said, I'm just lazy, man. I don't want to carry stuff, but I right. carried all that stuff for so many years. Yeah, and you, 
you wouldn't believe how much rack mount stuff I got downstairs and pedals and, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I always say they may come in handy for a recording or something, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. You can get you can get overwhelmed with that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm... Uh, I'm that way. I I have way way too much stuff. You know. I matter of fact, I just filmed a uh, a segment for my YouTube channel on on pedal boards, and I actually found this this board just just stumbled across it because I'm the guy that you know I have I have so much stuff. You know, I I take out so much stuff and I, I don't ever use it and don't need it and you know you got to step over a pedal to step over a pedal and then you accidentally. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But I found this one pedal, and it's small. It's like a foot long, and it's just wide enough to fit the pedals, and it's lithium battery operated, so you don't have to use batteries or plug it in or anything like that. And um, and it doesn't weigh anything at all, and you can put, you know, between, you know, any, anything from six pedals down on it, you know what I mean? And uh, I fell in love with this thing, and so I, I went away from all the other stuff and just got a, I got several of these, you know, and I guess got them set up differently because I like different sounds, you know, depending on what I'm doing and stuff. And, uh, but it's easy to get all trapped up in that stuff. And I think it's really cool when you run across the guy, you in, uh, in, uh, um, uh, Wadi, uh, Wattel are probably two of the only guys that I've ever ran across. Well, in Tomo that, you know, they don't want anything on it. It's just plug it into the amp and, you know, turn the reverb down or off, you know what I mean? Go, and, go, yeah. And just go, you know. And some guy, one guy, the, the Tomo guy, I was talking to him, and he'll, like, he'll turn uh, the bass on the, the, he'll use a Fender amp, you know, like a deluxe, and he'll turn the, the bass all the way down, turn the treble up, turn the reverb all the way off, <laughs> you know, no pedals whatsoever. And yeah. you got to you got to be pretty damn confident in your plan. <laughs> yeah. One time I went to buy, a, I was going to buy like a rack mount thing. You know, I was like, you know, just something to have. You know, with just clean sound with my sound. I was going to get my sound, put on, turn everything off on the amp, and just use that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the store, and the guy's like, "Well, on this one, you can get up to twelve effects at one time." I was like. I don't want to hear no 12 effects. I don't want to hear my guitar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and guys, they always ask me, you know, it's like, so, hey man, what are you using on, on your guitar on this recording? How do you record? I was like, I plug my guitar directly <laughs> into the interface and play. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You know? Right. And when, uh, when it's time to mix, I say, hey, Put a little reverb on that, you know, but, you know, these engineers, man, when when they mix and they want to use everything they got right, they send me a thing back over. Well, what's with all this compression? You know, you're losing all my nuances, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, I used to record at Hinge Studios, you know, when I was going to the still that was downtown here. And he was recording, Craig was recording everybody. And he left here because after he started getting Grammys for Kanye and John Legend and all of these guys, you know, recording them and mixing their stuff. But he used to always say, hey, you're the easiest guitar player. <laughs> He's like, you just come in and plug in. He's like, I don't have to listen to them try to find them 
placements for the mics or the amp and all the then I gotta go through an hour getting the home out of the pedals. <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> you know. So I was like, Yeah, I'm I'm pretty simple when it comes to recording, you know. Well, you sound great. You really do. Thank you, you so much. You do. You sound great. You're a fantastic player in that. So, what, what do you? How do you keep yourself sharp? You know, and growing. You know, as a guitarist, do you practice a lot? Do you work on new things? Oh yeah, or? I practice, and you know, I find that sometimes you need to go back to square one. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day when you weren't, when you didn't have no records out, no gig, you know, all these festivals and stuff and you just sat around and practiced you know and every once in a while I pull out books and you know go back start you know playing bebop stuff you know out of the books and stuff yeah. and and with my own stuff when I'm practicing it with you know with the track I you know I try to challenge myself and play something entirely different from what I played on the record because on, on these records, you kind of kind of keep it simple if radio ain't going to play it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, a radio promoter told me one thing. He's like, all them great chops that you just played on this record, he's like, go back and simplify them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I told him, so, you know, now with contemporary jazz and stuff, a lot of the songs, they're about the hook now, you know? Yeah. The hook in the song. Back in the straight ahead, it was about the solo. You know, yeah. there was no, you know, we hit the hook and now we just going, you know, <laughs> as my old lady said, cause she's not a straight ahead lover. She's like, it sounds like everybody playing whatever they want to play. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, he playing what he want to play. He playing what he want to play, yeah. you know, so, but now it's more about the hook. So i you know, I try to challenge myself and say, okay, you know, maybe I'll try some fusion kind of stuff or, or play, you know, listen to stuff and try to duplicate things I never would have tried, you know. And the good thing is I don't have to buy a lot of pedals because all the software has all this stuff in it. Right. You know, because I've been like, recently, last week, so I've been playing a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff, you know, trying to emulate some of that stuff. Because he's so much heart and soul in his stuff, you know. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, um, and that's what you do, you know, you just, see, I wonder if I do this, I would just do, but, you know, I have different forms of practice, and sometimes I just practice, and sometimes I'm just playing the guitar while I'm watching TV and stuff like that, right. then I'll be doing something like, hey, what did I just do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I don't know, I ain't gonna do it again, <laughs> you know, so. Now, now the shows that that's you That's why do- I tell the kids at school or something, you know. All the time, you don't have to sit down and practice too badly, but try to keep the guitar in your hands as much as possible so that you all may become one, you know, because yeah. the guitar is your voice. It's saying what you want it to say, you know, so you need to be close to the instrument. And I think that's why I like the Russ Montgomery style of playing with your thumb. Yeah. And uh, I remember some years ago, I went to see classical uh, guitarist uh, Julian Breen. And uh, I talked to him after the show, and he told me something really I never thought about. Because he, you know, was asking me about you know who I am. He had no idea who I was, you know. And he says, uh, 
I told him, I, you know, I played mostly in the West Montgomery style. He said, that's good. You know, he's like, because he played with his thumb. He knew about all the jazz players, you know. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I play with my fingers because that makes you one with the instrument. He says, once you get a pick and put it in your hand, you're putting something in between you and the instrument, <laughs> you know. Huh. You can't feel the instrument with the pick, <laughs> you know. And I never thought about it that no, way. No, I never thought about it like that either. Yeah, I well, I... I oh, are we breaking up here? No, I can hear you fine. Yeah. You good? I'm losing you. So uh -oh. I can hear you just fine, Nick. Hello. Hello. You there? Are you there? Yeah, there. Now I can hear you. <laughs> okay. All right. That's that's. You kind of going in and out. Yeah. That, wow. That's that's strange. I I don't want to keep you much longer. You know, I I appreciate what you've done. Huh. So, yeah, so cause you just started this, huh? So uh, what's what's gonna happen in the future for you here? And I know right now everything's kind of. Are you there? Are you there? Well, it might have been my earpiece, but it's not because now I'm just. Are you there? Yeah, you're totally gone. I can't hear anything. Uh-oh. That's not good. I can hear you just fine, Nick. You can't hear me? Hello? Hello? Yeah, we are going to try and be calling you back, uh, yeah, well, can you? I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah. <laughs> That's really strange. I could hear you the whole time. It was kind of wild. And, uh, okay, I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're good now? Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, well, you know, I, uh, so what, what do you got planned for for the future, I know right now you know things are kind of at a stop with the virus and all, but you know what's your plans after once that all comes back? Cause it's going to come back. I'll be I'll be back on the road. I mean, you know, this virus thing started right around March, and I took two weeks right after Valentine's Day to be off because my summer was so. Busy, I know, because I figured when I went back to work in March, I was going to be off for another weekend until December, right? Oh, wow. And now I'm not go going back to work until the end of July because all the festivals postponed and pushed it off to the next year, you know, because... yeah. You know, because of the virus, you know, just yesterday, I thought I was going back to work July 9th for my first gig. And my agent called yesterday and said, hey, I hate to tell you, they postponed it to next July. I was like, 
I'm going to be a working fool next year. <laughs> so. Yeah. I know in some places they're saying that it isn't really going to come back and, you know, for like, you know, festivals and, in you know, gigs at clubs and stuff like that for, for quite a while. And some people are looking at, you know, the fall or next year. Yeah. You know, I'm figuring, you know, God willing, everything should be cool by August, you know, and yeah. I'll be back on point, but you know, what can I do? You know, but wait and see, you know, and then, you know, it may be different, you know, you know, don't know what the new normal may be, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of guys are recording right now, mm -hmm. you know, and I just put out a new record. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I guess I'll start creating my next record, yeah. you know? Only a record company. I talked to him over the weekend. He's like, "Yeah, this is a good time for you to start a record." Because <laughs> every time I go to the UK to, to to gig, and I go over there like every year. So when I was working on this record, you know, just before I started, I was in the UK, and he's like, "Uh, you know, the editor told me, you know, it's time for you to start a new record about four or five months before that." <laughs> so. I was in the UK and he's like, we went out to dinner and he's like, so how's the new record coming? I'm like, yeah, it's coming along real good in my man. <laughs> I said, you know how I work, man. I had to wait till this deadline time before I started <laughs> anything. You know, four months before the deadline. I was like, oh, I got to get this record ready. <laughs> you know. That's funny. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So, how do, how do you you know how you do you just how do you come up with your ideas for your songs? You know, this in this time period is really strange for me because I usually I'm more inspired to write stuff when I'm working. You know, because sometimes I do things on stage and I try to file it in my mind, like, oh, you know what? And I'll start thinking of songs while I'm playing something else. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. But, you know, because I'm not a person that can really just sit down and make myself write something. You know, it has to hit me. And I know when it's good, because if it's a good song, I will stay up all night to work on it, <laughs> you know. And my ideas will keep flowing, because sometimes I'll be writing a song, and I have to stop and then, you know, save that and bring up another one so that I can... <laughs> put down the ideas that just came in my mind for another song, you know. <laughs> so, but then sometimes I'll sit here and try to make myself write something, and I'll tell you, I'll sit here 10, 12 hours, and I'm kind of person, I don't like to listen to stuff right after I've, you know, do finish, you know, like finish writing a song. I'll wait till the next day when I get up. Right. And sometimes I'll listen to it, and I was like, I stayed up all night to do that. <laughs> you know, could have got a good night's sleep instead. Huh? Yeah, you know, and the strangest thing is though, I do the same thing when I'm recording the guitar track. Yeah, my and this happens to me all the time, and I keep saying I'm gonna stop doing it, but it works for me. I'll sit with the track, and I'll play ten to fifteen tracks of the guitar you know just the guitar part and I won't listen to any of them get up the next day listen to all of them again 
and it's always the first one that I did. I might just have to clean some stuff up, but it's always the first one. Yeah. And I know it's because the first time you just really feeling it. Every time after that, you're just trying to beat what you did the last time, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's that's actually really good advice. You know, I know there's a lot of players that you know, they'll do that. They'll just do a few passes and then they'll just let it sit. You know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's smart. You know, come back and you say the first one was the best yeah. as usual. <laughs> you know, yeah, because if not, you're just going to beat yourself up trying to, you know. Trend. Oh, I could do I could do a better lick than that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, watch this. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and I can play it faster, <laughs> you know. So, so uh, you know, um, if a guy wants to to follow in your footsteps, you know, wants to get to the the place that you are as a guitar player, in that, you know. What you know? What advice do you give somebody that wants to enter into this business and uh, you know try to make a living, you know, with the guitar? Well, the first thing you have to tell yourself is, for me, is you have to tell yourself, I'm not playing for money. Yeah. I'm playing because I love to play. You know, I love playing the guitar. You know, and whatever happens is going to happen. You can't say, oh, I'm gonna do this, and you know, so I can make all this money. You know, you got to say, I'm doing this because I love it. And if you love it, other people will love it, you know. And, you know, because, and I tell them, uh, the advice I get a lot of cats, always play from your heart, you know. Because if you, if you can play from the heart and touch somebody else's heart, you do it. Then you got it made. If you're playing for what they're hearing, it go in and one ear and out the other one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you got to persevere because it don't happen overnight. Yeah. You know, that's why I say you have to love it. You have to say, hey, do it that. I'm going to do it, you know, because it's going to be a lot of broke time before you're going to be really broke, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and know that if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will, you know. Yeah. Nobody else will believe in you if you don't believe in yourself and hone your skills and, you know, and hone, hone your, you know, because music business, even in jazz, is not like it used to be where people come to a jazz club just to hear you play. People want to be entertained. Now, this is the entertainment business just like anything else, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I'll pass along the advice that, uh, a great singer told me one time when he came to a gig of mine on a fluke, Lou Rawls was playing a club in uh, Wisconsin. And the owner was a friend of Lou Rawls, you know. Yeah. You know Lou Rawls, you know. I do. I don't know and, uh, him, but I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, you know who he was, you know. Yeah. So the guy kills me when I come to the club. He's like, yeah, my friend Lou Rawls is coming back tonight. He's doing this big, whatever the charity that Lou Rawls used to do because he used to do a telethon too on TV. He's like he's doing it at the auditorium there or something. He's going to come back when he finishes. I like me and my band like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And Lou showed up. You know? And uh, came in the dressing room, man. He's, and he's like talking to me and he's like... He's like, I really like you. You know, he had that deep voice. I really like your plan. He's like, 
but I want you to get your entertainment skills together. And this is like when I first started breaking out on my own, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he's like, get your entertainment skills together. He's like, I'm going to tell you this and I want you to never forget it. He signed one of my CDs to me, right? And he wrote it on there. He's like, musicians make money. Entertainers get rich. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That, that is, that's so true. <laughs> and, uh, he told me, he's like, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'm gonna bring some people here. He's like, we're gonna fill this place up. I'm like, okay. So I come to the gig the next day. It's a land all the way down the street. Right? And I'm like, where are all these people going? They don't know me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, my manager, she asked this lady, she's like, wow. Are you familiar with Nicole Young's music? She's like, no. But Lou Rawls was on stage and he said, there's a guitar player we need to see. So we came, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he came up and sang about three songs with me and stuff, you know. And I'll never forget that he told me, musicians make money and entertainers get rich, <laughs> you know. Boy, isn't that true? <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, it is true. Wow. You know. Well, well, Nick, I I really appreciate you taking some time to to chat with me. Oh man, I, you know I had a good time chatting with you, you know, and uh, I really appreciate you know you considering me to be on, you know. Yeah, well, when uh, things turn and you know this opens back up and and you're playing around the city, you know, for something and that, I hope to get out and and uh, and come see you play. In that I've I've never seen you live. I've seen you on video. You know I've heard your music because you know I, I've listened to smooth jazz for for a long time. People don't know this, but in 2010, I did a smooth jazz uh, album, and I had uh, Tim Cunningham. Yeah, I know Tim. Yeah, I had Tim play on it, and uh, so I've always been a fan, you know, of of the style of music and that. But I've I've only been to one. One event, one show. I went and saw Guitar and Saxes once. Uh, okay. You know, with Who did they have then? Jeff, Jeff Golub. Jeff Golub, yeah. yeah. It was Jeff Golub. Yeah, when he passed away. Yeah, you know? he was a fantastic player. Fantastic. But uh, but I hope to get out and see you once that comes. And I hope that, you know, I hope that things turn for, for you and for everybody else in the business so you guys can get back to work and too you know start you know making us all happy and selling records and yeah so i got a stock of them in my garage that i had ordered for i was having two cd release parties at two of the bigger festivals in april Mm -hmm. and uh one of the festivals uh the promoter bought 150 to, to to give away at the CD release party, you know, and then everything got canceled. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I kind of feel you there. I recorded a CD in January and was going to uh, to release it, you know, in April and do some shows. And I had you know had some things planned on the East Coast and stuff like that, but. It never happened, and I'm not, you know, I'm not known by anybody or anything like that. I got my own little following, and that's about it. But, uh, you know, I'm not even going to do anything. I can't even imagine, you know, guys like yourself that, 
you know, you're making your living doing this and you've got all that expense and all that time into a, into a release and now you can't get out there and promote it. You know, it's right. like you got to start over again. I did a CD release party on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. There, there you go. There's, you a know, lot, there's a lot of guys doing. Are you doing live performances on on Facebook? The CD release party was the first thing I did. I'm like, I'm going to do something with Dave Cobbs in about a week or so, you know. Yeah. You know, some of these guys on there every other day. I was like, you know, there is a such thing as overexposure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. like, you know, more you stay out, more you can create a demand for, to see you, you know. Right. If um if you send me your email address, you know, I'll send you some MP3s of the stuff for the new CD, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I will do that. I'll I'll shoot you my, my email. That'd be great. Cool. Yeah, well, Sounds Nick, good. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again someday soon. All right, without a doubt. All right, take care, buddy. Take care and stay safe, man. Yeah, you too. All right, peace. All right, so there you go, Nick Coleone, smooth jazz, contemporary jazz guitarist, Chicago, Illinois. Make sure you're checking him out at nickcoleone.com. I want to thank Nick for joining me on Guitar Talk. Uh, he's, He's a really cool cat. I mean, a really great player, too. So make sure you're supporting, you know, the artists that come on here and the guitarists, you know, by checking out their gear and their uh, their releases and that, okay? So once again, thanks to Nick. Uh, you know, this coming Sunday, because, uh, you know, now we got two shows. we got shows on Wednesday and Sunday. This Sunday, Ken Haas, the president and CEO of Reverend Guitars, is going to be with me. Now, this is an interesting guy, man. He's a, he's an interesting dude, you know. He loves guitars. Uh, he plays in a lot of bands, and he's a huge Knopfler fan. So uh, there's some things right there that him and I got in common. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Ken Haas from Reverend Guitars will be on Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Time. In that, uh, please make sure that you're going to all the social media sites, um, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and that you're following me personally, Jimmy Warren and Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook. Uh, subscribe to our email list at jimmywarrenofficial.com or guitartalkofficial.com. We appreciate it. And if you can support us financially, we appreciate that too. You know, we don't make no money doing this. We do this because we absolutely love it. But anything that we get helps, you know, to take the money, you know, to you know help make this thing continue to happen. So I don't have to pay for everything. <laughs> I'm only kidding. No, I'm not. Okay. So, but uh, just so you know, uh, next week, uh, I got a double show on next Wednesday. I got uh, Chuck and Ryan, the guitarist from Blacktop Mojo, are going to be with me. And then also Logan and Riley from the Georgia Thunderbolts are going to be with us. So we got a double bill on next Wednesday with uh, Blacktop Mojo and the Georgia Thunderbolts. And then uh, Bernie Anderson from Elderwood Guitars in the UK is going to be my guest a week from Sunday. So, wow, just a lot of great stuff coming on. So make sure you're tuning in, and we appreciate, uh, you know, we appreciate you guys checking this out at jimmywarrenofficial.com guitartalkofficial.com and we will see you guys on Sunday 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 smoking US 30 drag set and the big rush run run run